Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Eric Bischoff is currently on the line to answer your questions about Clash of the Champions 29 and much more. You listen to them, now hang out with us and Eric. This is After 83 Weeks with Christy Olson. That's me. I'm Maria Menounos and you're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz Boom! There it is! Hello, 83 Weeks fans! Welcome to the show that is just for you. This is where we cover the myths debunked, all the juicy scoop delivered, and we have Eric on the line to answer all of your questions. So stay tuned. My name is Christy Olson, and you know Eric's digital producer, Steve Kaufman. Why, hello. We're, we're keeping the man waiting. He we is are. with us here now. We are. George will be joining us in just a moment, and Steve <laughs> stepped on my big intro I'm there. Sorry. But also joining us, author, entrepreneur, former president of WCW, and the host of 83 Weeks, Eric Bischoff. Hello, Eric. How are you? You Woo! forgot the king of... You forgot the king of... Wow, did I hear... That's right. Our studio audience is amped for you tonight, Eric. They are ready. Wow. Now I'm really feeling good. Good to be here. Good. Well, thanks so much for hanging out with us. It looks like you're still in Stanford. We are still in Stanford. Actually, you can see the boxes in the background. I got them kind of blurred out. Hold on. Let me let me let me work on my gimmick here. Where am I? Oh, you're ready. I was going to I was going to unblur my background, but yeah, we're actually packing up and uh, we are leaving Stanford early, like at the ass crack of <laughs> dawn on Saturday morning and heading down to Florida for a month and a half or so. Going to enjoy some nice warm weather with the kids and then uh, mosey our way back to Wyoming. All right. Well, you must be looking forward to that. You know, I, I, I'm i not going to lie. I've enjoyed it here in Stanford. My wife and I, uh, Mrs. B, a.k.a. Lori, you know, we, we, we got here and we thought, you know what? It's not the same as living on, you know, 20 acres out in Wyoming and looking up at the mountains. But there's all these great restaurants close by and there's so much convenience and everything is like, you know, two minutes away. We got kind of used to that. But now that the cold weather's setting in and it's getting kind of ugly and gray and dark, it's kind of like, okay, it's time to get the fuck out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we can certainly understand that. And we are happy you've given us a little bit of your time tonight. The chat rolls already weighing in. John Garrison said, I can't believe that I can actually say hi to Eric Bischoff. That's pretty cool. He was epic when he had his part in the NWO. So they are ready and willing to uh, shoot some questions your way. uh, But I think... Hello and welcome, George Hermosa, our tardy host. I believe that he... uh, (laughs) He has a little game that he wants to play with you, Eric, tonight. Are you willing to warm up with a little game? I'm ready to go. Let's do it. So we are going to play a little round of Taboo with Eric Bischoff. We're going to give him some clues. There are words that we can't say in these clues, and we will see if we can get him to name a certain 
wrestlers. So, since George uh, got this whole thing kicked off, and because he was late, and I cannot shame him enough for that, we are going to get him uh, starting us off here. So we're going to have one minute. I'm pretty much sure you got to name as much made wrestlers as we can with one minute. Uh, we all got sheets of paper to... Those are certain words that we can't say. So if uh, any one of us says a word that we're not allowed to say, feel free to chime in and say, hey... You can't use that because you just lost the point. Yes, shame them. That's <laughs> yes, what I do. Absolutely. Uh, so whenever anybody's ready, uh, we want to get that minute started. I'm going to mm-hmm. give you ten wrestlers. Hopefully, you can name them all without me uh, saying some common words. All right. So this is Steve versus George. Who can get Eric to guess the most correct answers in one minute? I'm going to just throw my timer up right now. I got a timer up. Oh, okay, he's good. ready. All right. Cool. All Let's hit go, George. Uh, first wrestler. Uh, Man called Snake. Uh, luchador, uh, the best one. Uh, Ray Mysterio Jr. There we go. Uh, bald, uh, tattoo. Uh, Bill Goldberg. There you go. Uh, bald, also bald. Uh, not in your company, but he was in another company, bald. Uh, Steve Austin. There you go. Uh, he was a horseman. Uh, he was probably one of the best technicians, probably maybe one of your favorite wrestlers to watch. Um, Paul Roma. Oh, <laughs> close. He was, a, he, was, he was a horseman, um, one of the later horsemen. Um, he was. Sh- he trained a bunch of guys. Feuded with Chris Jericho. Uh, dad, dad was Joe. No, dad was uh, Boris. Uh, oh, Dean Malik. There you go. <laughs> uh, this guy was another uh, fr- best friends with Ric Flair. Arn Anderson. Okay. Uh, AEW champion. Our heavyweight Eight, champion. Four, three, AEW. Two, one. What's <laughs> Ayatollah Rock and Roller. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, a pretty good showing one, there. Two, Eric three, guessed five, six, six of right. those correctly. And now let's put another minute on the clock. It is time for Steve to challenge George right now. Three, Go. two, one. <laughs> Superman villain. Uh, uh, (laughs) Superman villain um, appeared on the very first Nitro from the WWF Oh, you said it. You can't say WWF. Well, then I lost. Wait, go to the next one. Well, All then right. I lost that Moving point. Um, he he has a sitcom on Netflix currently, or they're shooting it currently. It'll be out by WrestleMania. Uh, very large gentleman. Paul White, giant, giant. Um, got it. Uh, his son. You probably saw him at Starcast. Also has a mullet. Uh, works. I was. There we go. Um, oh, this one's rough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna. Pass this next person. He <laughs> was in the wrestler. No, you said it. God, I need to pay Steve more attention to the thing. Is terrible at this game. Um, next, he was recently departed this week. Um, there, we, uh, very. <laughs> You're gonna say. I heard. I, I thought I just heard a bell. <laughs> yeah, because I finally got one right. I'm not bad at this oh. game. Um, uh, Five seconds. You both live together. Both live close to each other in Atlanta. He does yoga now. Dallas Page. There we yes! go. Yes. Um, oh, a last minute. It was a last minute one. I did it not do was, well. It was, however. I mean. Bringing in hey, our hey, final hey, score. I, I, I just want to point out that if it wasn't for Steve, we wouldn't all be together. Steve worked really hard <laughs> to bring me into this, you know, little. <laughs> so before quartet, we crap on his taboo this, skills too hard. This quartet. And Steve's great at a lot of things. He's helped make our YouTube channel really successful. <laughs> 
But, Steve, you kind of suck at this game. <laughs> I was not my best. I will say that. Agreed. George, the big winner on that one with Undefeated. six correct. That was fun, Eric. Thanks for playing along with us. And I, I like it. I like to have fun. Right? Well, I think you'll have a little fun with our chat roll, too, who already has the questions rolling. New Punk Rant said, how do I ask questions? Just type it, honey. You're already doing it. It's all good. (laughs) Michael Pierce wants to know, Eric, did you have any remaining ambitions in wrestling, or do you feel like you've done it all? I feel like I've done a lot, but... I'm not sure I've done enough quite yet, so I'm I'm keeping the door open. You know, never say never. I hate to keep saying that over and over and over again, but you know it's true in this industry. It's it's you know it's the entertainment business, whether it's music, film, television, wrestling, whatever. Um, there's always new opportunities that uh, present themselves, and if one presents itself that sounds like a great time and is a challenge and something I haven't already done, absolutely happy. To, I love the business. He's down for it. Um, Anchor G in the chat actually has a really random one I want your thoughts on now. What are your thoughts on Kane's unmasking back in the WWE in 2001? Going way back. Mm. If you don't have any, that's a, that's mm. that's an answer. That's a good answer. I don't have <laughs> any. Okay. No thoughts on that Anchor one. Anchor G had questions. Well, I, I do have kind of something going on to this episode, The Clash of the Champions, just because you mentioned uh, it, there was a lot of talk with Hulk Hogan and his creative control. Um, I'm kind of curious how exactly that worked. Was that Hogan kind of pitching ideas to you guys and you kind of going along with it? Or was that more so creative coming up with ideas and Hogan having pretty much the final approval on that? Or both? You know, so much – that's a really great question. I'm glad you asked it because so much has been made about Hulk Hogan's creative control and – it's, it's really been overblown. I'm, I'm going to tell you something right now, and this is not a criticism or anything. You know, It's not anything I haven't said before, but if anybody doesn't think that top talent in WWE or anywhere else, including AEW, doesn't have creative control, they're kidding themselves. <laughs> you know, when they do. Now, Hulk Hogan, you know, his, his was, you know, in writing – so perhaps that you know brought it to a different kind of a level, um, whereas in a lot of other cases it may not be in writing, but it's certainly no less uh, of an issue. But with Hulk, it wasn't like he was pitching ideas to us or we were going to him and pitching a bunch of ideas. It was a very natural kind of evolution of, of storytelling and, and idea uh, iteration, if you will. And we, we would go to, to Hulk and say, look, this is he, here's an idea. This is kind of what we're thinking about. And he more more often than not, I would say probably 75 or 80 percent of the time was like, OK, well, that's cool. But what if we did it like this or what if we did it like that? There was never it, it wasn't like he was sitting on a throne, you know, with a <laughs> gavel in his hand and going, ah, I hate that idea. Go back to the drawing boards. God damn it. It was never like that. It was just Hulk's creative control clause in his agreement was really there to protect himself against what he was afraid was going to be a, a, a lot of political kind of infighting and booking in WCW. Historically, WCW was a very, very – it was a snake pit uh, creatively and politically. 
And there were a lot of people there that weren't necessarily out for WCW as much as they were out for themselves. Historically, that was the case. If you go back and look at the history of WCW and the booking in WCW and the politics in WCW prior to Hulk Hogan, it shouldn't be much of a mystery to anybody that's got a little bit of an open mind. Hulk just wanted some kind of language in his agreement that gave him the ability, if he sensed that there was some undermining going on or things were getting too political, that he could pump the brakes and and kind of make sure that he wasn't being compromised. Uh, But in terms of it being like a big issue i've said this you know once or twice before and it's it's worth saying again the only time that hulk hogan ever exercised in my opinion and i was the one that dealt with him more than anybody any real resistance to creative was at Stark 98 with sting when we had one plan and that afternoon he changed his mind and said i'm just not feeling it i don't think it's the right time and we went in a different direction Other than that, Hulk's uh, creative control clause was never any more of an issue than anybody else's creative control or influence or desire to be heard, including Ric Flair and a lot of other people. I do think Hogan gets a lot of flack in the years because people look at that at creative control like, oh, that's just him trying to, you know, protect himself. But a lot of people do that. There's nothing wrong with protecting your brand. Like you hear a lot of celebrities doing and at this time, Hogan was the biggest star in pro wrestling. Like there's nothing wrong with protecting your brand. Steve Austin did it. Steve Austin protected his brand and got up and walked out <laughs> and left and left WWE holding on to their nutsack. <laughs> it's it's Figuratively, not literally. <laughs> but maybe literally. I wasn't there. I've been told. <laughs> <or> whatever. <laughs> I mean, there's been a lot of top talent. And I'm, I'm not going to name names and I'm not going to you know, get myself in trouble here. But I can tell you there's a lot of top talent that have a lot of creative control to this day. So anybody that, you know, I know it was especially, you know, you guys read my Twitter page. You know (laughs) where I'm going here. (laughs) There's there's a whole lot of people that have, you know, jumped on the narrative of Hulk Hogan's creative control and Hulk Hogan did this and Hulk Hogan kept this guy down and Hulk Hogan. It's so much. It's been exaggerated and overblown and distorted so much over the years that people think it was this really, really big deal. And I'm here to tell you, it really, really wasn't. (laughs) In many cases, Hulk was a lot easier to deal with creatively uh, because he had confidence in himself and he had confidence in the fact that if he heard something he really hated, he could just – you know, try to help make it better or or nix it. But the only time that ever really happened was at Starcade 98. Well, another guy who uh, made a very short stint at WCW around this time was Triple H. And you didn't say a whole lot about him on this episode of the podcast, besides that he was geographically undesirable. What else? He was a good, <laughs> <laughs> a good old good. What else did you think about him? What would you? What was your opinion of him? Did you see a future for him at WCW? Um, you know, I he, he didn't make a big impression on me, and and. And, and that's not because he wasn't extremely talented or didn't have a lot of potential. But again, this is something I try to communicate, you know, on the podcast. And I, I guess it doesn't really resonate, or maybe I don't do a very good job trying to communicate it. But you know, my role in WCW, particularly when Triple H or Paul Levesque came, he wasn't Triple H back then. He was 
Hunter Hearst Helmsley or something, <laughs> some, something along those lines. Um, but when Triple H came into WCW, uh, I, I, I really relied on other people who had more experience than I did in evaluating talent and recruiting talent and booking talent. That wasn't my forte. My forte was the business side of the wrestling business. And I left the creative side and the talent resource side or talent management side to people who had more experience than I did. So as a result of kind of taking myself out of that part of the equation, I didn't spend a lot of time, you know, trying to evaluate or have an opinion or, 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 or any input into a lot of those decisions. I think I said in the podcast, uh, Paul Levesque came to us, I believe, through Terry Taylor. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure how they made the connection, but I'm pretty sure pretty sure it was Terry Taylor that introduced you know Paul to WCW. I helped negotiate his deal and may have had a conversation or two with him. But once that part of it was done, I was kind of hands-off. My only real impression of Paul uh, was... I was at a, a Halloween, a Christmas party, not a Halloween party. I was at a Christmas party at Diamond Dallas, Diamond, Diamond Dallas Page's <laughs> house because, as you pointed out in the show, he only lived a couple of doors down from me. <laughs> and, and, and Page was a really big, you know, Christmas is like the highlight of his life. He, he you know, Christmas, you know, surprise, after surprise. New Year's. Yeah, after New Year's, you know, Page would start planning next year's Christmas <laughs> party, like January 2nd, mm-hmm. right? Start decorating his house in July. I mean, he just loved Christmas. And Paige had a Christmas party at his house. And obviously, you know, my wife and I went because we were right down the street. And and Paul was there. Now, this was when he was, you know, very new to WCW. And the only th- in this, I, I mean, I know exactly where we were sitting in the house. And I remember this moment like it was five minutes ago. Everybody, it was a Christmas party. Every, you know, it was a wrestler. So guess what everybody was doing? You know, there were cocktails flowing, and it was a it was a wrestler's Christmas party, as one could only expect that might be. But the one guy who was, you know, he was not off to his side. He wasn't standoffish. He was very sociable and everything. But I noticed that Paul, you know, he wasn't drinking. He was, uh, you know, he, he had a you know bottle of water and he was having fun and he was you know participating but i I noticed out of everybody that was in that room or in that house he was the one guy that was just kind of under control not getting too loud um managing himself very well very professionally and he wasn't drinking and that's the one thing i remember about him is he was kind of a straight straight laced kind of cat other than that i i really didn't have much of an impression of him interesting oh this is another interesting one from blast thunder in the chat who had better dance moves Alex Wright or Disco Inferno? Oh, are you kidding me? Alex Wright, Chrissy, come on. You, you <laughs> chime in on this, Chrissy. Come in. If you had to you pick. in on that. Um, on. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with my man, <laughs> Eric, on this one. See, I feel like but I feel like Disco, they both had the one move, but I feel like Alex Wright did that one move a lot better than Disco did his one move. <laughs> That's because Alex Wright knew he was packing and he made sure that, he made, that everybody else knew he was too. <laughs> And we are going to work on that Bluetooth sponsorship for this show, too. And while we do that, Eric, Brad Clem in the chat has a uh, very juicy question. He said, what did you actually do in the WWE this time around? What was your role? 
Boy, that's a great question. <laughs> the, role, the role as it was originally defined to me was to oversee a, the, the process and oversee the SmackDown brand, not to necessarily be involved in creative other than to oversee the management of it and to essentially uh, oversee all of the other elements of the business that had anything to do with SmackDown. So it was a very broad description. Keep in mind, it was a new job. It wasn't a, a position that had previously existed in WWE. So I think, you know, uh, not that uh, I'm sure a lot of thought went into it, but it was a very, um, I, I think the position kind of is most likely still evolving mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and being defined. But it was it was a very broad definition of the role. Okay, I think we put some uh, dirt sheet rumors to rest with that. So thank you, Eric well, while we're on and the, Brad. The, the dirt sheet portion, uh, Bronze Yum V in the chat has Eric spoken to Tony Khan about anything interesting? It's a very open ended question. I think the general the general question mm -hmm. is: Have you been in the same room with Tony Khan at all? No, I think I almost was in the same room with Tony Khan last weekend in Baltimore at uh, Tony Schiavone's birthday party. Um, which which was a part of Starcast, and I, unfortunately, I, I I didn't know this till after the the event. But I went there. Uh, I, I didn't announce it, and it was kind of a surprise. And I, I just showed up just to say hi to a few people, really. Mm. And evidently, you know, I got there, and I, I was on one end of the room. You know, talk, actually talking to Medusa, and <laughs> and hanging out on one end of the room, and up towards the front stage where all the activities were going to be taking place. Conrad Thompson had a little table and Tony Khan was seated at that table and I was supposed to be sitting there, but I don't, I, I just didn't want to sit there. I wanted to be kind of, <laughs> not, not, and I didn't know that Tony Khan was supposed to be there. I, I hadn't heard that. Nobody told me that. I didn't see a little name tag or anything on the table. I just didn't feel like sitting that close to the stage for some reason. So Conrad so I, was trying to get the two of you together. No, see, you're <laughs> jumping to conclusions, Miss Meltzer. <laughs> Sir. <laughs> Christy Meltzer, right here. No! <laughs> so, uh, that's funny. That She's really funny. is funny. Um, so, anyway, I was, I, I got up, I left that table, I was sitting on the other side, and uh, shortly after I got up and left, I guess, Tony Khan came in, he sat there, and he was going to be there for the, for the Tony Schiavone roast, right? And uh, I heard this secondhand. I, I didn't see it happen because I was across the room. But evidently, when Mark Madden got up, and I don't know how many of you or if you guys know Mark Madden or how many of you listeners know Mark, but he could be uh, he could be a little rough. <laughs> he he could he he could piss you off in a heartbeat, right? <laughs> And I love Mark. I, I get along with Mark. I always have. I dig his sense of humor. I, I dig his directness. I think he's a good human. He's a good person. I just think, you know, he's made his living pissing people off, mm -hmm. right? Well, you take a guy like Mark Madden and you say, hey, Mark, we want you to MC a roast. Well, guess what that's going to sound like? <laughs> so evidently, Right at the very beginning of this thing, everybody's seated, and Mark Madden opens up, and he goes, "Hey, look over there, Tony Khan, the Money Mark. How many, how many executive vice presidents do you have in your company anyway?" And evidently, <laughs> Tony took a, to, Tony, Tony took exception to that and got up and left. Oh, wow! So, I I could have, I guess, had an opportunity to meet meet Tony Khan, but uh, Mark Madden fucked it up. <laughs> 
And by me and by and by me telling this story, I probably just fucked it up for myself. But whatever. <laughs> Somebody else would tell that story. If you didn't, there were, it's, it's a room of people. That's very true. Uh, in this episode of 83 Weeks as well, you guys talked about your relationship with New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, was this an instance of WCW needing New Japan or New Japan needing WCW more? And also as well, kind of a follow-up with you know all these upstart promotions. Do you think it's nece- necessary for them to kind of co-promote shows with AAA or New Japan? Like, is it necessary? If you were running AEW, would you be reaching out to New Japan or AAA to do shows together like you guys did when Worlds Collide or, you know, Starkid 95 as well? um, You ask a couple different questions there, so I'm going to kind of rewind a little bit. In terms of it, was it more important to WCW or to New Japan? I think it was important to both of us. You know, keep in mind, again, as you hear me say all the time, context is king. Keep keep everything in context. Back in that – at that time, nobody was co-promoting. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody was an island unto themselves. My goal from the very beginning was to make WCW more of an international brand as opposed to a domestic U.S. brand. So it was very important to me – uh, into WCW, therefore, to have a, have a partner that I could work with on a consistent basis that would give the audience here in the United States the impression that WCW was more than just a domestic U.S. brand. So it was very important to me, but it was almost equally as important for different reasons to New Japan. So I, I would say it was a, it's probably one of the reasons why it was a great marriage because in a, in a relationship like that, everybody has to win. Both partners have to feel like they're coming out of it with what they need and what benefits them. It may be different. The reasons may be different. The motivation may be different. But as long as everybody's happy at the end of the day, it usually works. Uh, so at that point in time, I think we needed each other, albeit for different reasons. Now, you look at what people are doing today and you know not a week or two goes by and somebody doesn't announce in some you know Fakakta press release that they have a working re- working relationship with so and so what what the fuck does that ever mean it doesn't really mean anything it it means that you're going to book somebody that's already working in another territory and you're going to book them once or twice and that's going to be the end of it go back and look at the new japan relationship we had a much more extensive consistent ongoing relationship um including you know ultimately going to north korea together so uh, uh, two different times you know different environments the business has changed everything's changed but i hear about all these working relationships and I've, I've, i've never been able to determine what it really means Well, you mentioned North Korea there, and I was actually wondering, how do you compare your crazy experience there with WWE going to Saudi Arabia? Hmm, That's a really good question. Um, Obviously, there's some parallel, I guess, Uh, although the United States and Saudi Arabia have a diplomatic relationship. Saudi Arabia is an ally of the United States. Uh, from a military point of view, there are a lot of business transactions that take place between Saudi Arabia and the United States. Uh, Americans can go visit Saudi Arabia if they choose to. Um, not the case with North Korea. Uh, there, there was no diplomat. In fact, technically, 
the United States and North Korea to this day are still at war. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say that the relationship between Saudi Arabia and the United States today is much more um, amicable and, and, and friendly by a mile and a half than the relationship with the United States and North Korea back in 1995 when I went there. What about your motives for going uh, to South or to North Korea versus WWE saying that they go to Saudi Arabia to hopefully expose people to new things and to uh, maybe push for something like women to go uh, compete in the ring? I'm sure that's a part of the reason that they go. I think the other part of the reason they go is purely economic and financial. Um, I when we went to North Korea, there was relatively speaking no revenue involved at all. We went there to I, my decision to go there. It was twofold. I'm going to be honest with you. Part of it was selfish because the idea of actually promoting a wrestling event or being part of a wrestling event in an isolated dictatorship where no Americans were even allowed to step foot into the country, to me was kind of a challenge and a cool thing. And I just wanted to do it to say I did it. That part of it was selfish. The other part of it, again, kind of fell into my strategy of of helping to brand WCW as a bigger, broader international brand. And that was a really big um, kind of crazy way to do it. So, uh, but there was no there was no economic advantage to it. We didn't make a bunch of money, unlike WWE, who <laughs> makes a ton of fucking money. <laughs> well, that's still my favorite episode of eighty three weeks. So, keep all that juice coming, Steve. Um, last week we talked about uh, AAA When Worlds Collide. That was based in ninety four, and you felt it was helpful for WCW to partner with other wrestling promotions like AAA and New Japan. For future, for mutual success, because rising tides will rise all ships. Do you think that landscape is similar now in 2019, or does everyone kind of have to hoard their own bit and not not collaborate? Mm, I'm kind of going back to the discussion that we had a little while ago. What does it mean in today's environment when you see somebody have a working relationship, mm-hmm. for example, with, with with another company? What does that do? What does it accomplish? How is it promoted? How do how how does everybody benefit? I I never, and, and maybe it's because I'm not paying close enough attention. Maybe there maybe it is obvious how it benefits, but I I, I for the most part, I today it's just nothing more than a press release. Mm. That's interesting. Uh, talking about when worlds collide, we had when worlds collide. You know, ninety four and ninety five. There was collision in Korea. In ninety six, WCW sent a couple wrestlers to this event called the World Wrestling Peace Festival in Los Angeles, California. It was guys from WCW, ECW, Japan, Mexico. A uh, couple couple questions regarding that. One is, did you hear any rumblings backstage on why WWF didn't send any talent? And two, do you have any know any idea why? This event wasn't televised the same way the other two were. Uh, I'm not sure why it wasn't televised. I wasn't really uh, promoting the event. It had nothing to do with the business side of it. Um, uh, again, this was just my effort to kind of open up the the doors to WCW a little bit and expose our product to a, a different audience. And again, give the impression that we were a bigger brand. In terms of why WWF didn't do it, I say WWF because that's what they were at the time. Uh, just a different strategy. You know, WWF has always been, and still is, and obviously it's a very smart strategy on their part, very protective, protective of their brand. They, this is not meant to sound like a, like a, a shot, but they don't play well with others. They, they, they like to kind of keep everything in house. 
and and again tactically strategically that's a very good move for them it's obviously paid off very very well i was taking a different approach i was trying to get more attention i was trying to expose a product to different people i was trying to explore different markets and different opportunities because wcw was flat on its back and had nowhere to go but up and also too coming off that event just weeks later or even months later we saw wcw bring in guys like chris jericho ray mysterio uh you know a couple more guys were you kind of there also as a as scouting talent as well? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That was another big part of it. Well, you got to tell us about your upcoming trip to the Middle East. Well, <laughs> funny you should mention that. Steve and I were going back and forth <laughs> because there was a press release suggesting that I was supposed to. And by the yeah, way, I yeah, was. Yeah, I saw I, that. And social media, I've been I've been pronouncing the country of Qatar as. Qatar, like guitar, kind of like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how they say it on 90 the Day Fiance, Qatar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, evidently I, I'm, I'm wrong. I've, I've, I've been corrected, and the correct pronunciation of the country is Qatar. Oh, and wow. the city that I'm going to is Doha. I'm hope, hoping I'm saying that right. I'm sure somebody <laughs> in the Twitter universe will correct me if I'm not. But interestingly enough, the press release came out suggesting that I was going to be there tonight. <laughs> Uh, on on the 14th um that is not the case uh but i am supposed to be there on the 23rd of this month for a press conference and then i'm going to be at their big event on february 20th of uh, 2020 so what's your role there are you just there for a little publicity bump or are you going to be involved behind the scenes uh I'm, i'm making an appearance and um, again, you know, this is a, a country I've never, I've never been to the Middle East. I've, I've been to a lot of other places. I've never been to the Middle East. And the promoter there uh, is one that I, a lot of people that I know have worked with him. Uh, Sting and Booker T and a lot of other guys have worked there and, and have nothing but great things to say about the event and the promotion and everything that goes along with it. So I just thought, what the hell? It sounds like a great time. Never been there before. Um the Lebanese food I've read on you know the internet is fantastic, so I'm going. All right, Dope. sounds delicious. Um, RKO 1988 in the chat in all caps. What does Eric think about CM Punk? CM Punk appeared on Fox Sports One WWE backstage last night. Do you have any thoughts on it? Any insight on it? Perhaps zero insight. Mm-hmm. I've never met CM Punk. I was at an autograph signing I think last spring. Uh, where we were next to each other, but his line was like a mile and a half long, <laughs> and I had twenty people, you know, waiting for my autograph, uh, and we never really got a chance to chat. But I've, I've never met him, I've never talked to him, I know nothing about him. I mean, well, I know a lot about him, all right, what I've read and heard and watched, uh, but I've never met him, so I, I have no opinion about him, you know, good, bad, or, or different. I'm very. Uh, Anxious, I hope, someday to meet him and, and get to know him. But uh, I'm happy for him. Look, he landed a great gig. He's a controversial individual. Um, he stood up for himself. He stood his ground. He put a lot at risk. He had the, the, the balls to, you know, uh, chase a dream, to fight in the UFC. And, and that, you know, I admire, admire the hell out of him for that. Um, that's a... That's a hell of a, a hell of a thing to do, you know. If you if you've not grown up as a wrestler or a kickboxer or a jujitsu artist or a martial artist of any kind, and just to wake up one day in your 30s and go, "Hey, I think I want to try that," it takes a 
you know, takes a lot of courage, and I, I respect him for that. But I, I know nothing about him, and I'm, I'm happy for him. And by the reaction that I've seen in social media, I think it's a great thing for Fox, probably indirectly a great thing for WWE, and I'm sure it's a great thing for, for CM Punk. So I'm, I'm happy for everybody all the way around. It's a triple win. There was recent news came about your good friend, Sonny Ono, who was hospitalized. I want to know, how is he doing? Have you seen him recently? Like, I know there was a lot of news going on. I heard he's getting better or doing better now. He's a freak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. I knew he was in Japan because he was sending me pictures of all the, you know, the Japanese restaurants. Because that's what we do. You know, we, we tease each other. You know, like if I'm out in a sushi bar and I've, I've got some really great fish, I'll take a picture and I text it to him. Because he lives in Mason City, Iowa. I mean, not a lot oh, of great yeah, sushi. Oh, yeah, you can't get fish. fresh fish there. <laughs> no. So just to kind of like make him, you know, jealous, I'll, my wife and I will be out and we'll take a picture of the sushi and I'll text it to him. And then he does the same to me when he goes over to Japan. So I knew he had, he had been to Japan for about 10 days, I think, uh, with a promotion he was involved with. And he texted me right before he left Japan and asked me a question. I didn't see the text till a day or two later. It just kind of slipped through my fingers, so to speak. And I saw it. And I went, oh, I'm going to reach back out to Sonny. And I, I text Sonny and I said, hey, are you still in Tokyo? And he said, no, I'm in a hospital. I had a heart attack. Oh. I went, what the hell? So I called him right away. And he was in Minneapolis by that time. And and what happened, I hopefully Sonny won't get upset for me at me for sure in this. But while Sonny was in, in Japan, he wasn't really feeling well when he was at the airport. He boarded the plane, was very uncomfortable on the plane, got to Los Angeles to make his connection, was even more uncomfortable, uh, just felt pressure in his chest and just knew something wasn't right. But he thought, what the hell, I'll, I'll get to Minneapolis and whatever chewed a handful of aspirin just in case got to minneapolis and realized you know what i really need to get this checked out went to the hospital and they said dude you're having a heart attack oh my god and and ended up having you know a procedure done and he's going back in to have a double bypass surgery i think in a couple weeks and but and he's in great spirits he was in baltimore last weekend in fact, Wednesday night he called me and he goes, "Hey, I'm coming out to see you." <laughs> I'm thinking, "Dude, you just had a heart attack. What do you mean you're coming out to see?" Me? And and where are you coming to see me? Are you coming to Connecticut or you know, what the hell? What do you mean you're coming to see me? He goes, "No, I'm going to be in Baltimore with Muda because he brought Muda over for Starcast." I thought that's insane, but he, you know he flew in. We got together Thursday night. Uh, Sunny and Muda and Muda's wife and myself all went out and had sushi and had a great time. And and Sunny was in great spirits, and he's doing he's doing great. Good. Oh well, we are happy to hear that, and glad you got to spend a little time with your BFF. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. And the best part about Sunny and I hanging out together is whenever we do, there's always like massive quantities of great sushi involved. So it was mm -hmm. a blast. <laughs> For and a second it was, there, it was, I was not it, sure what you were going to say. Yeah, and, and, and it was great to see Muda too. You know, I haven't seen Muda. Uh, really, I haven't had a chance to talk to Muda in in probably about twenty years. I saw him back in January. I was in in Tokyo for a couple of days, and we saw each other briefly, but we didn't get a chance to talk. So it was great to go out and have dinner with him and his wife. 
Cool. Well, it's glad, good to hear that you've been having so much fun lately and enjoying your time. And uh, we wish you safe travels next week when you're going, you know, all the way over to the other side of the world to Qatar or Qatar. However you decide that they pronounce it over there. But thank you so much for hanging out with us and all these people in the chat role. They are singing your praises. Eric Bischoff is number one, Matthew Hammer says, and we loved sitting and uh, getting to pick your brain. So thank you so much for uh, tuning in with us, Eric. See you next week. Thank you. Safe travels. Oh, that was fun, you guys. All right, that was us giving you a little extra Eric uh, for making up for his uh, being absent last week. And you just heard it from the man himself. He will be right back here again next week. So make sure you join us live and get your questions answered. We do this on the 83 Weeks channel every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific time. And we sure hope that you do join us. If you can't, we're always available on YouTube and on Apple Podcasts as well. Make sure you subscribe to the 83 Weeks channel because you get all the clips from this show anyway we don't want you to miss anything and if they want to hit you up uh mr tardy man over there where would they do that at george hermosa Uh, you can follow me on twitter and instagram g-h-e-r-m-o-z-a i'm here all week i'd helped out covering monday night raw this week so i did both english and spanish anybody wants to tune in lots to talk about this week on raw uh but yeah thank you for uh, having me and I'm Steve Kaufman. You can find me on Twitter almost exclusively at Steve Kaufman. That is K-U-F-M-A-N-N. I am heavily involved in the wrestling YouTube space. So if I'm tweeting a link, chances are I'm involved. Oh, and thank you all for the live chat love. You can always hit me up at Christy Reports. Please also subscribe to my YouTube channel, Christy Reports. And next week we will be covering... Um... World uh, War Three. Thank you. Yes. 1995. And That's then right. there's two World War 3s back to back in the next two weeks. And we and Eric Bischoff will be here for it. Send in your questions using hashtag after 83 weeks. And we'll see you then. Have a good one. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first. We're the biggest in the world. And we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. <laughs> 